I'm glad he added that on at the end, by God's grace, okay? Because anything I do has to be by God's grace because I'm too weak a vessel to do anything on my own. So it's good to be with you this morning. And I think I'm going to try to come out next Friday night because this really intrigued me. What is Puerto Rican Christmas caroling? I'm a Pennsylvania Dutchman, okay? So, you know, I know what Pennsylvania Dutch do when they go out Christmas caroling, but I'm not sure about Puerto Rican Christmas caroling. So, well, we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, good to be with you this morning. Uh, as Pastor Lowe said, I am Director of Church Extension Ministries for the Bible Fellowship Church, which is the mission arm of the denomination that seeks to reach people with the gospel and plant new Bible Fellowship churches. And if you look at that directory that was handed to you when you came in, uh, that um, handout that you received, it looks like this. If you have it around you, take it out. just want to point some things out to you there. If you don't, I don't know, are there any more of these back there? Yeah, why don't you do, and if you need one, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. But that, that lists the, the individual church planters that are ministering in the Bible Fellowship Church, starting new Bible Fellowship churches. And if you take notice, we have church planters in Tapachula, the state of Chiapas. Uh, he has some more directories there if you want to raise your hand and you need one. Uh, we have church planter in Chiapas, Mexico, the city of Tapachula. Uh, that's our furthest south. And then we also have church plants going on in Merida, Mexico, over, in the, over, in the, uh, over on the Yucatan Peninsula, and then up in through Naples, Florida, in through Delaware and Maryland and Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And so we're quite spread out. God keeps on providing these opportunities for us to reach people with the gospel and plant new Bible fellowship churches. So Take a look at that, and if you want some more information on any one of those individuals that you may be interested in, please let me know or go to our website, which is listed on the back there, and you can get information on those church plants. And, and maybe there's one that stands out to you that you would like to pray for. Uh, we would love to have you become a prayer partner with any one of these church planters. Los knows how is important, and Lynette know how, knows how important that is to have partners that are praying for you, that are lifting you up before the Lord. So if you see anyone there that may attract you in the sense of wanting to pray for them, let me know or just go to our website and get more information on that. Uh, so yeah, this is a church plant, a mission church. We have two types of churches in the Bible Fellowship Church. We have mission churches and particular churches. The particular church is a church that has graduated. They have received the charter. They're on their own. They're self, self-supporting. They're autonomous, yet connected to the denomination by agreement with our doctrinal statements. And you are moving toward that. Uh, what do you need to have in place in order to become a particular church? Uh, well, you need to have men who are qualified to be elders, at least two of them, other than your pastor church planter. You need to have committed participant adults who will be willing to become the charter members of the church. That means that each one has to put down a million dollars for the church. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Okay. Uh, but charter members, we need at least 20 adults there. And you need to be financially self-supporting so that you will be totally autonomous in supporting yourself, your ministries, your pastoral staff, and such. 
So you're moving in that direction, and praise God, you're moving in a good way. You are really moving forward to reach those goals, and Lord willing, in the next couple years, you'll be received into our conference as a particular Bible Fellowship Church. So that's the goals. Uh, pray about that. Pray for your pastor, and pray for the transitional leadership team that assists him in moving towards reaching those goals also. So again, it's good to be with you this morning, and uh, I've been asked to bring the Word of God to you. Is that what I'm here for? Okay, all right, we got rid of all the preliminary stuff now. But, you know, I was singing so hard, I thought, well, I have a voice when I get up there. That was great singing, wasn't it? Great praise to God. Great praise to God. I couldn't help myself, but I had to video it. So excuse me if you thought, excuse me if you looked at me and you thought, well, that guy's really sacrilegious. He's, he's videotaping during service, you know? Well, I did, so talk to me afterwards. Okay. But it is good to be here with you today. You know, most of us have been out to concerts. And when we've gone to concerts or special events, something like that, uh, there's always something to warm up the audience in the beginning, isn't there? There's usually an act or somebody who comes up in the beginning before the main feature or the main act comes on to the stage. And what their job is to kind of warm everybody up in anticipation of the, the featured performer that comes up. You know, so that they're excited about what's coming. God has warmed up his creation to the coming of the greatest event in history. The incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's warmed us up in a historical fashion through history. And more specifically, through the history that we see in the Old Testament. And even more honed in and focused, the history that we see beginning the Word of God in the book of Genesis. You know, when you look at Genesis 3.15, theologians call that the Proto-Evangelion, meaning the first mention of the gospel, the first mention that, that one day there's someone coming, a God-man coming, the seed of a woman who is going to crush sin, death, and the devil. That's warming us up, isn't it? Well, a little bit later in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, he kind of narrows his focus down from dealing with the entire population of the world at that time to one particular man and his lineage and his line, his promised line, from Abraham on. And in that covenant he makes with Abraham, he warms us up again to understand that there's someone coming, a Messiah, a Redeemer coming, who is going to be a blessing to every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world by calling out his people from among them. You know, as we warm up to what the text that we're going to look at today, it too is a warm-up to the coming Messiah, to the Shiloh. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 49. I say turn, turn, click, point, dab, whatever you want to do. But get the Genesis 49, okay? Years ago, I didn't have to worry about that. I've been in ministry for 37 years. Before, everybody turned, and you heard these pages flashing. Now you hear this. And that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Genesis chapter 49. We're going to be reading from verse 8 through verse 12. 
Uh, I'm going to be reading through the New American Standard Version. Okay, that's my translation that I normally use. It should be pretty similar to most of your translations. Uh, but I particularly like those translations who translate verse number 10 with the term, with the name Shiloh. That's why I'm reading from this translation. So in verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. Now, Father, as we look at this text here this morning, we have to realize that many times in the Old Testament, you tell us about things that took place and have been established. But within that context of that, you also reveal to us what is yet to come, the promises of the prophetic utterances that we see throughout the Old Testament, and particularly here in this text, Lord, and pertaining to the Shiloh who will come, that Messiah who was sent, he will come, he will be King of kings, Lord of lords, and the rich of the richest. And so, Father, help us to understand both the near view of this text and the far most glorious view of the promise of this text. So, Father, be with us this morning as we study your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, in this Genesis text, there's, there's two things taking place. Uh, there's a blessing and a promise. There's a near view of what's going to happen back then when it did. But there's a far view of what is yet to come. And we need to keep that in mind as we go through this text. But a little bit of the genealogical background of this would be helpful for us. And we want to go back beginning with Abraham. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And according to scriptures, we know that Isaac was the chosen son. It would be through Isaac that the promise of the Messiah would be fulfilled. Well, Isaac then had two sons. He had Jacob and Esau. And we know that Jacob now, the father of Judah that we just read about, Jacob now is the head of the family line through which the Messiah will come. And so we see here that the blessing that's going to fall on the sons is, honed, is narrowed down to one particular son. All the sons of Jacob are going to, the 12 sons of Jacob are going to be blessed. But there's one son that will receive this special blessing and being sanctified and set apart through which the Lion of Judah will eventually come through. And so when you look at this text, you, you put yourself in the place of Judah. He hears that he's going to be the one son that's going to get the blessing. That had to be unexpected for him because he wasn't the oldest son. And usually it was the oldest son that would receive the blessing and the legacy of carrying on the family and being the head of the family. But if you look at the section before in chapter 49, verses 2 down to 7, we see the reasons why the firstborn Reuben 
And then the second and third born, Simeon and Levi, were not chosen to be receive that special blessing of a promised lineage. In the case of Reuben, he had committed incest in the family, and he certainly was not going to receive the blessing. In the case of Simeon and Levi, they were violent men, as it says there in verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Jacob was not going to anoint them. So it fell to the fourth son, Judah. And of course, it didn't just fall, did it? It was God's chosen individual to receive the blessing. And so Judah, the lion of Judah, will be the head of the family that will receive the blessing to carry on the lineage that will lead to the kings of Judah and eventually the king of kings, Jesus Christ the Messiah. So a little bit of that genealogy just so we see the picture here. But let's look at this blessing first. Remember, this, we need to understand the near view blessing that's in this context and also the far view promise of the coming Messiah. So let's first look at the blessing, that which happened then and there, okay? Literally happened then and there, the blessing on Judah. Uh, Gary Smalley, who's a pretty well-known Christian psychologist, family psychologist, he really thinks a lot about families, children receiving blessings. He believes they're very, very positive for a child to receive a blessing. He writes in one of his books, words of blessing should carry with them the recognition that this person is valuable and has redeeming qualities and picture a special future. You see, Smalley's thesis is that a blessing to our children, and this is more of a practical application now, a blessing to our children it can be very meaningful. The lack of a blessing to our children can be very devastating. And we've seen some of those things carried out, as we've heard testimony of children who just didn't have the affirmation from their parents that they should have had. Jacob here was directed by God, and I think he was well aware of the importance of this blessing because of the lineage that he had come from through Abraham. He understood that the blessing was very important to give to Judah, not only because God chose Judah, but because the blessing would identify Judah in several ways. It would identify Judah as a leader. If you look at verse 8 there, Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemy. Your father's son shall bow down to you. That's, that's the position of leadership that Judah's receiving as far as the blessing is concerned. Uh, James Boyce writes in his commentary on, on, on uh, Genesis, he says, he would have known something of the sin. Speaking of Judah, Judah would have known something of the sin in his own heart and would have been aware of his own guilty offenses to make him uneasy about receiving the blessing. But yet we don't see that here. We see Judah receiving the blessing, knowing that he was God's chosen in spite of some of his earlier problems that he had with his brothers and sisters, particularly Joseph. He was very instrumental in selling his brother Joseph off to the Egyptians or to that caravan into slavery as such. But in spite of that, God shows his grace to Judah and brings him to the forefront of the family to lead the family. And that's carried out in the years, in the years ahead. Judah, the tribe of Judah, would take the lead in, in bringing Israel into the promised land. It would be the kings of Judah, particularly King David, 
uh, as you see here in this next uh, section of verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That scepter points to a king. Judah wasn't a king, but his lineage would produce the great kings of Israel, David and Solomon, and so on and so forth, down through the line, this promised line, until it ended up at Joseph, the father of Jesus. So David and Judah would be the Lord's supreme earthly region and lead all the tribes of Judah. So the first thing we see in the blessing that was received then and there is that Judah became the leader of his family. Secondly, he became the leader, as we just intimated, he became the leader of the kings of Israel. In verse 9 and 10, Judah is a lion's whelp. Now, you, right away when you see the word lion, you know, you know it's pointed to a kingly position, uh, especially in Hebrew poetry. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff. Both scepter and staff point to the fact that Judah is going to produce the kingly line that would lead to the coming king of kings. And so again, questions must have surfaced in Judah's mind, though, because if we look back in chapter 48, we see that it was Joseph who had the dream about what? His brothers bowing down to him, you know? And it was Joseph who, had, who, who was understood to be the leader in that particular time during the case of Israel being in Egypt. Well, again, remember, we're dealing with near, near, near prophecy, in the, well, I shouldn't say near prophecy, but near blessing in the past that was accomplished and done. So for Joseph, his brothers did bow down to him in Egypt. And for Joseph, he was a leader in Egypt. So in a very real sense, that was fulfilled. His dream was fulfilled back then. But it doesn't have to do with this blessing that Judah is receiving now. Judah is receiving a blessing here and now in that particular context for the line of kings to come from his loins. And so from Judah would come David and Solomon, as we said, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Zerubbabel, and also in Ezekiel, we're going to see Zedekiah, the last king of Israel, really coming from the line of Judah also. And that's going to be important when we, when we get to that point down the road here this morning, understanding the last king who, is, who the crown is taken from in anticipation of the king of kings receiving the crown. So we'll get to that. Jim Boyce writes here, No human family had ever been so prominent. Judah and his descendants were not only made to be leaders, but supreme leaders as great kings of a great nation. Lastly, Judah not only was blessed with leadership and with the lineage that would move forward to having the great kings of, Egypt, uh, yeah, great kings of Israel uh, anointed, but also he would be rich. If you look at verses 11 and 12, now this is Hebrew poetry. So we have to do a little bit of gymnastics here to understand what this, how this relates to being rich. But in 11, he ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine. Ah, boy, I don't know how that would smell today, washing our garments in wine, but anyways. 
um, and his robes in the blood of grapes. I, I, was, I grew up in a butchering family in Lancaster County, well, in Berks County, okay? And blood, when it sits for a while, does not smell too, too rich, okay? But this is Hebrew poetry, remember that, okay? Wine is a richness. Blood is a richness, okay? Uh, and his teeth white from milk. Well, Judah and his lineage are going to find a land with fruit vines where even strong donkeys can be tied to, and it will not pull the vines away. It will not break them down. Their fruit and nourishment as they entered the land will be abundant, and health and prosperity and their physical bodies will literally shine from the nourishment they receive. Like here, the teeth will be white from, as milk. Not only would Judah have his generations lead and rule as kings, but they would prosper. Now, now keep in mind, this, the near view blessing that we're talking about here, as we start to transition into the blessings of the coming Shiloh, this one who will be the Lord of Lords, the greatest leader ever, this one who will be the king of kings, and this one who will have the riches of riches. So, in summary, to receive a blessing is this dramatic and is this great uh, that Judah received from Jacob, his father, is, is, is something that Judah is laying the foundation for the coming Messiah. This blessing is a mere warm-up, okay? It's a warm-up to the one who will be the Lord of Lords, who will be the King of Kings, and will be the riches of the rich. And that's where we turn to verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Now that word Shiloh, that's, that's, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful word, a beautiful name, isn't it? Shiloh. But so many interpreters don't know how to interpret it. Most are agreed that the Shiloh who is coming is the Messiah who was sent, the Messiah who was promised, the Messiah who we know as Jesus Christ. So whenever we see, like in passages in the New, in the New Testament, Luke 7, Matthew 21, uh, and Matthew 13, uh, we, see it, we see this Shiloh not mentioned but spoken of as one who comes, one who is sent, the one, capital one, who is the Meshua, the promised one, the Christ, that comes and fulfills that warm-up that we're, we saw in the Old Testament as such. So, now I'm, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Back in 1970. Does anybody remember 1970? Yeah, okay, some of you remember 1970. How many, how many of you, how many of you remember the music of 1970? All right, some of you remember the music of 1972, okay. Well, there was a co there's a co composer singer by the name of Neil Diamond. How many remember Neil Diamond? Ah, the, hand, the hands are getting less and less, you know, as I go along. Neil Diamond composed a song. It became a hit. And the title of the song was Shiloh. Yeah. Nobody really knows 
what the meaning is behind it. I kind of researched that. For some reason, when I was studying this, that song came to mind, of course. And um, I'll allow it to be the Holy Spirit that brought it to mind, okay? <laughs> and so Shiloh came to mind. So I looked up, I did some investigation on, on what was behind him choosing the title Shiloh and talking about Shiloh. And nobody could really figure it out, even his, his, uh, uh, his producers and things like that. They couldn't figure out what he had behind that. They kind of assumed that he was brought up in a pretty uh, rough background when he was a kid and so forth, and he, and he needed something to hang on to or something, uh, some hope or things like that. That could be true. But the words, the words, which I have someplace, the words really are, are haunting in a sense. Here they are. The words really are haunting in a sense. Shiloh, I used to call your name. When no one else would come, Shiloh, you always came and you stayed. Wow. Now, I don't think that's inspired, okay? Don't come up to me and say, do you really think Neil Diamond was inspired when he wrote that? No, I don't. I think he was inspired to write the psalm, but not to write inspired scripture. But that's what this word is all about. That's what this time, until the one comes, when I call upon him, he will come and he will stay with me. Until he comes, this fulfillment of Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and Rich of Riches will not be fulfilled until he comes. But when he comes, it will be fulfilled. Amen. See, that's what Paul wrote in Galatians 4, 4, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. But then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes again, and he says, at the fullness of times, plural, God sent forth his son, to bring all things in summation to him as Lord and King and Savior. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Yes. So when we look here, this Shiloh who comes, we definitively should say, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who comes. He is the Shiloh who is Lord of Lords. Verse 8. Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on your neck, your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. That's Jesus who demands that. We read it, I think, up here in Ephesians 2. At the end there, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. What? That Jesus is Lord. You see, theologians say with Jesus' is control of everything in heaven and earth, they call that the Lordship of Christ. Okay? That he is control of everything in heaven and on earth. And even back in, I love this passage back in Colossians. Yes. For he rescued us from the do domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by him 
all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him, through him, and what? For him. Why? Because he's Lord of lords. He's also king of kings. As it goes on here, and as we applied it to Judah a few minutes ago, now we're moving forward. This far view of this prophecy, of this promise. And as we see it there in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, or the nations in some translations. We'd be hard-pressed to find earthly kings who were greater than David and Solomon and the offspring of Judah, or to find greater empires than David or Solomon. People from the world came around to see Solomon's empire. They were so amazed by this. But to look at Jesus, a carpenter's son, born in Nazareth, what good comes out of Nazareth? Born in Nazareth, many would laugh at us, and they do, to think Jesus is this king of kings. And yet, the greatest kingly victory and the greatest kingly kingdom has been established by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king of the kings because he lays claim to the greatest victim, victory that mankind has ever seen or can experience through faith in him. And that is the victory of the cross, the victory of salvation, the victory of eternal life. It's no wonder John wrote in Revelation chapter 5, Behold, the Lion of Judah has overcome. And it's no wonder that John writes again when he refers to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, because he has the greatest kingdom. He established not a mere earthly kingdom, but an eternal heavenly kingdom. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, John writes, To him who sits on the throne, be blessing, glory, honor, and dominion forever. Together. Forever. He's the king of kings and lord of course. No other kings or messiahs or shilohs will surface in the days to come. Our poor Jewish friends keep looking for a messiah. They keep looking for this Shiloh. He has come. He has come. He'll come again. He'll come again. Jesus is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and he's the richest of rich. You see, the riches we, you and I, long to get in our hands on confuse us about what true riches are. Solomon, probably the wealthy of all the kings in the line of Judah, made his house greater than the Lord, confusing material wealth with real wealth. You and I do the same. We confuse material wealth with real wealth. Can any gold or material wealth compare to joy of spirit? You know, it's time of year we sing joyful, joyful, we adore you. Why do we adore him? Because we have his joy. Peace of heart. Jesus said, I leave with you my peace. Not like the world gives you peace. I give you my peace. Comfort of soul. What soul can be comforted more than the richness of Jesus coming into them? 
and making his abode with them. And finally, the hope of glory in a hopeless world. We, the believer in Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the riches of the rich, we hope in this glory yet to come and be seen in our lives. The riches of Christ are the fulfillment of Judah's, uh, Judah's prosperity. Judah was prosperous in his day and age in that near view back there. But in the future, the lion of Judah prospers beyond imagination. Even so that Paul would write in Ephesians 3.8, he holds unfathomable. Say that with me. That's a tongue tie. Unfathomable. Unfathomable riches. That's our Lord. That's our King. That's our rich Savior. Several aspects of Jacob's prophetic blessing are, are concluded now. You know, that prophetic uh, blessing of until Shiloh comes, he came. He came. His kingdom is here, not complete yet, but it's here. And you and I are a part of it if we're born again. If by faith we receive Christ as our Savior, we're a part of that kingdom. And there's going to be such glorious things yet to come, isn't there? Such glorious things yet to behold because we will see the king and his kingdom face to face. Face to face. He will be our mirror that our brother shared with us earlier. He will be our mirror that we will see in him all things that we ever need or ever hope for. There yet remains a concluding point in verse 10. Until Shiloh comes, and that conjunction means that there's something coming afterwards. Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, the nations, in some translations. That time has not come yet. That time is yet to arrive where all the nations of the world will bow down and honor him as Lord of lords and King of kings. Many of them won't even believe in him, but they'll have to honor him. They'll have to honor him. Now, for you and I who are born again, who are Christians, we celebrate Christmas as a time when we know that Shiloh came and defeated sin, death, and the devil on the cross of Calvary. Amen. And by faith, we received him into our hearts, into our lives. We repented, and we were born again. And we rejoice this time of the year especially, but all throughout the year, because of what this Shiloh did for us. He became Lord of our life. He became king of our life. And he blessed us with unfathomable riches in hope, in glory, in promise. I pray that you will celebrate Shiloh this Christmas. The one who came for you. The one who you're trusting in. The one who you're putting your hope in for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I also pray for you who are not Christians, who are not born again. I haven't come to that point of repenting. 
believing by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him as your Savior and Lord and King. I pray that you will have no peace this Christmas. I pray that you will have no hope. I pray that you will be so disturbed that you will cry out to Jesus Christ and receive his peace and his hope and be born again. And there's nothing you can do religiously to acquire that but to recognize your sin, repent, and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise is yours to be saved by Christ. Amen. He will be your king. He will be your Lord. And he will bestow you with the riches that go well beyond your hopes and dreams for this earthly existence. May the Lord be with you. We see a a lot of advertising for uh, uh, for renditions of Handel's Messiah. Are all you familiar with Handel's Messiah? Uh, Frederick Handel wrote the Oratoria of the Messiah, and at the end, there's what's called the Hallelujah Chorus. And if I can find that, I'm not going to sing it to you. But at the end is the Hallelujah Chorus, and it's a good note to close on here. A good note to keep in our mind as we leave here this morning, Jesus Christ as Lord, King, and the rich of the richest. The chorus, the hallelujah chorus goes like this. For the Lord, our God, omnipotent, reigneth. Hallelujah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Say that with me. And he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ, our Shiloh, our Messiah, the one who came, the one who we cry out to and we always know will listen the one who will be with us forever. Father, may we celebrate Christmas as your children with hope and joy in our hearts and in our minds. And Father, for those here that are not your children, may they be uneasy until they repent and ask you for forgiveness and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you for being with us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.